Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs-Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the strange side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome to episode 17 of Eerie Essex, where this month we felt a little bit devilish. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was Elsa's choice. And what a choice it was, the devil in Essex. So why did you choose that? Because I was watching The Devil in Ohio and I got the, the, the theme song stuck in my head. And then I thought, well, the devil is in Essex as well. He gets about. He does get about, and we'll learn how he gets about later. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And and his, I don't know what you call them, sort of like, it's his hobbies. What he gets up to when he like comes out of hell. It's not always satanic rituals. It can be the building trade or just some pranks. <laughs> farming. He seems to like farming quite he a lot. He does like farming a lot. Yes. And as uh, some of our Twitter followers saw, just as always, I have had a weird, it's a small <laughs> weird thing, but I've had a weird thing happen relating to the episode. Would you like to know why I had 6.66 written yes, on my... I'm desperate to know why you had that on your hand. Well, in work today, I was sat next to my colleague, Dan, and I can't remember what we were chatting about, but I said, oh, we're, um, I think it was like, what are you up to tonight? And I said, oh, we're recording the next episode of Eerie Essex. I was talking about the devil tonight. And as he as we said as I said that he pulled up some statistics for like last week's figures or something, and he said, "Do you want to know what yours are?" Six point six six. Hilarious. Which you know, obviously a coincidence, but it's still a bit like do 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 do. <laughs> Somebody's trying to tell you something, Bethan. Well, yeah, that- and I wanted to watch the original Omen on Amazon Prime, and they just took that off, almost like to spite. And this episode may be a little cursed because both Bethan and I are a little bit under the weather. I posted yes. a picture on our Twitter just now of my little sick nest slash recording studio. <laughs> yes, we're both in some little quarantined rooms because we both feel like it's coming. You know, and you just sense it's coming. And we both work in education and it's that Freshers time of year, flu. folks. Freshers flu. Every year. Every damn year. <laughs> like clockwork, literally. Oh, well, here it comes. <laughs> get ready. So Elsa, I do believe it's your turn, <coughs> excuse me, to go first this week. <laughs> While you tell it, I'm going to have a sip of whiskey. Well, we were talking earlier about the devil's hobbies, but it doesn't always go quite right for him when he pops up and has, you know, oh God, what am I saying? This is where I'm, I'm losing it, Bethan. So we were talking about the devil's hobbies, but it doesn't always go quite right for him. 
And cheating the devil is a popular trope when it comes to folk tales around the world, whether it be for his fiddle or to get out of being condemned or just not paying him for his work. People love cheating the devil. You have to wonder why people think the devil is so gullible. Or maybe that is just wishful thinking. Mm. So the legend I picked this week is interesting because unlike some other folk tales, we have a named person who we can prove existed. Awesome. Maud, otherwise known as Maud Elthalid. Oh, God sake. Every time I give myself the worst names. You really aren't kind to yourself. Maud Athleda de Ingrilke. Yeah, I murdered that. Yeah. No, I, 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 have, I have no regrets. Was the daughter. Say of it a, with conviction. I don't think I could go that far. <laughs> Was the daughter of a powerful Saxon nobleman, Prince Ingrilic. <laughs> of England, Earl of Essex, um, who is said to be the son of Ethelred, the notoriously unready. I can say Ethelred because I studied him at med- in medieval history. So uh, I've got that one down. That's the only one I can do. So as we know, Ethelred was notoriously unready for invasion and he was a king, a Saxon king of England. But Maud was born about 1032 in the uh, and this is a little bit interesting, not related to this story, but maybe may pertain to something else. She was born in Saint Martin's Le Grand, oh, which is a, a district, a district in Mon- in London. But it just made me think: didn't the kids in Woolpit say they came from Saint Martin's Land? Yes, they did. Saint Martin's Le Grand's Saint Martin's, Saint Martin's Land. Land. It's it's just interesting anyway. It just made me wonder whether it was like a um, a broken down version of that of St. Martin's Le Grand. It could be, yeah. Especially if they sometimes kids like mishear things. Yeah, or it just, you know, how names kind of deteriorate over time when they're being recorded mm. in the um in the census. I wonder if there's any Flemish immigrants there, because I think that's what a lot of the um Green Children of Woolpit was sort of like people think could have been. And uh, there was a certain diet some had that could have turned the skin green. Ooh. Actually. Like how Sunny D turned kids orange or yellow. Yes, exactly. And the lawmen actually did a really good episode. They all do really good. So that's really patronising. They actually did a really good episode. They're oh, all God, I episodes. can't believe they actually <laughs> pulled it off for once. No, they, every episode <laughs> they do is fabulous. But their um, Green Children of Woolpit was very, very well researched. And they ca- they proffered some interesting explanations so yeah if you're interested in the green children of Woolpit, it's not in our territory but head on over to lawmen they go into it more but carry on and, uh, do, does uh weird norfolk also cover it as well i think i think they do yes yeah um if you're interested about where st martin's le grand is it, it was a district in london it was a former liberty within the city of london and it was around the area of Newgate Street and Cheapside and uh, Oldersgate. So it forms the southernmost section of the A1 road if you want to go hunting for little green children. That sounded wrong. <laughs> and your parents will be happy because you mentioned a road. <laughs> exactly. That's why I did it. I looked it up specifically because I knew I was going to get grilled later about, oh, where is this St. Martin's gland? And my parents <laughs> don't speak like that at all. <laughs> So back to Maud slash Althelida or Ingrilke, however you want to call her, but let's go with Maud because I can say it. Maud married in Hatfield and Essex in 1072. Her husband being a nobleman of Norman birth, Ranulf Perival, after who the, 
the village became known as Hatford Perivale. She is credited with having founded the priory at Hatfield Perivale to atone for her sins, according to legend. And it is on the site of the ancient priory on which the present church of St Andrews stands. However, the devil wasn't too impressed with her atoning. Like you can't found a priory and just get off scot-free, apparently. Oh. So the devil swore that he would have Maud's soul, whether she was buried inside the church or outside the church. I know where you're going with this one. This so is, yep. where do you think Maud, Maud ended up being buried? I'm going to hazard a guess, like my little man later on. Was she half in, half out? She was buried in a wall, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, the devil, apparently stumped by 10th century masonry, wasn't able to claim her soul. So what did Moore do that was so terrible that the devil was after her soul? Well, she had an affair with William the Conqueror. And Whoa. Bore, and bore him a son, also <gasps> called William. Well, she wasn't um, hiding that very well, was she? <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only about 12 names for boys at this point in European history. True. I'm kidding here. There, is, there are more, but the nobility are pretty uncreative at naming their kids at this point in history. Bit on the nose, though. Yeah. There is, of course, no historical proof that she had an affair with William the Conqueror. And lots of articles I read said there is no historical proof she had an affair with William the Conqueror. And I want to know is who are the people who keep the records of who they've had affairs with? Like, do people keep documentation on the stuff? Who are these people? Are they okay? Do they need therapy? <laughs> Maybe there's like a, a job, like the affair recorder. <laughs> the royal recorder of royal affairs. The nookie um, note investigator. <laughs> note taker. The nookie <laughs> note taker. Anyway, the fact is she did have a son called William Perival, and she does seem to have been buried in the wall of the chancel of the church. So there is an element of truth here. I did. I found an effigy of her grave, um, apparently taken from the top of her sarcophagus. Um, I found this on findagrave.com because that is apparently where Eerie Essex research takes us. Mm -hmm. um, I'll post it on our Instagram later. Apparently it's a bit scuffed up because of the dissolution, but you can pretty much tell it's a person, probably a woman, probably has a face. So that is the story of Maud with the three unpronounceable names and her bastard son, William, <laughs> and the devil. Good old Maud. Yeah. I like that <laughs> name. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a name you hear a lot these days, is it? No, and considering, like, she had an affair, I can imagine the devil must be, like, you know, running hither and thither with the amount of affairs going on. Why pick on that particular one? Is it because it was Willie the Conqueror? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm going to go with societal, you know, horribleness. Probably. Troy pissed off the wrong person. <laughs> I like Maud. Yeah, I think she sounds cool. But she seems like she was the little she was the bad girl of the 10th century. Hence why I like Maud. <laughs> <laughs> um trying to find my one now. Yeah, what's your one? I'm interested. Well, I looked at Runwell St. Mary, which is near Wickford, and I got this story from the book that the lovely James of Basildon History Society sent us. Oh, God, thank you, James. God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> we look forward to meeting you one day, James. But yes, thank you for this, because it had an entire section, The Devil in Essex. Lucky. 
Yeah. So I thought I'm just going to read it from um, so this is um, a ghost hunter's guide to Essex by Jesse K. Payne. And I like the fact um, that James said, made a particular point of saying that she was from Vange. And then in a, in, in a, in brackets, don't giggle. It's like, well, of course I'm going to giggle now. You have to giggle when you hear the word Vange. Oh, you wait. I've got something to, to rival Vange later. Really? What can rival Vange? It rivals finger in hoe. <laughs> well, that is the top one on the list, isn't it? It is. And I think I might have found, I might have found one. Anyway, <sighs> back to Ron Wilson, Mary. In the 15th century, the rector of Runwell was ill, and a priest named Reynoldus, who was the chaplain of Linsford in Runwell, officiated for him. But Reynoldus had an evil reputation and was said to practice black magic. For a second, I thought you were going to say Reynoldus had an evil twin. <laughs> Not quite, no. <laughs> Thus, with the devil in his heart, it was that he was celebrating Mass one summer evening in the Jesus or South Chapel when the evil one suddenly issued forth from out of his mouth in visible form to the great terror both of the priest and the little congregation. The lay folk fled precipitately. I think that should I think that's the wrong word, but anyway, out by the north door led by the parish clerk. The devil chased Rinaldus from the altar and down the aisles ran Rinaldus pursued by his foul friend. At last he reached the south door, standing open on this warm summer day. Although impeded by his vestments, Reynoldus just managed to pass through the doorway and draw the heavy door behind him as the outstretched hand of the evil one was about to clutch his shoulder. As he drew the door to and collapsed on the brick floor of the porch, the palm of the satanic hand smote on the woodwork and became imprinted thereon. The devil was now shut within the church. He could not pass any over any of the three thresholds, as each had, at its consecration of the building, been aspersed with holy water. Defeated and imprisoned, the devil raged about the church, wreaking fearful havoc. At last, he escaped by hurling himself through a wall. He, He wanted to get out of there, didn't he? Yeah, that was like the, uh, what was that thing in The Simpsons where the, the juice guy hurls himself? Kool-Aid? Kool-Aid guy, yeah. Yeah, the Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> it's like, you know sometimes when you trap a spider under a glass and it absolutely freaks out and it's like, oh my God. It like throws itself around. I imagine oh, God. it like that. When I, was, uh, when I was in Venice, we were trying to have lunch um, and we were attacked by so many wasps. Um, oh. Me and Kirsty, my sister-in-law, were using these plastic cups we had been given and we were just trapping wasp after wasp under these cups. And we had about three of them on the go at one point. My goodness. Just full of wasps and they were going completely mental. I I, I feel like it's probably a little bit like that. <laughs> a little bit like that, I think, yeah. Meanwhile, the parish clerk who had been serving the mass had, I was going to say aroused, roused the rector who left his sickbed and came running with the clerk to the church. In the south wall of the Jesus Chapel, the newly made opening, some six, in, uh, six inches square was found. So it's a tiny little devil. It's a tiny little, tiny little devil. Or he, I imagine it's a bit like Lost, you know, in the smoke monster. Oh, yeah. 
imagine it perhaps because that's how that, I imagine that's how it spewed out of his mouth. So I imagine it went back to like this thick smoke and just blasted its way out. You see, I was imagining full on uh, pea soup moment there. Ah, well, either way, it went through a six inch hole. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but what of Ronaldus? What happened to him, Elsa? Oh, God. Well, the, the wall has a six-inch hole through it. I hate to think what Ronaldus. <laughs> this is why I picked this story, because I think this is beautifully grim and macabre. There was no recognisable trace of him. When they reached the south porch, all they found was a pool of eddying, black, evil-smelling liquid, which, as they watched in horror, began to sink into the floor of the porch, leaving in its wake a small flint about the size of a human hand, but bearing the well-defined shape of the hideous face of one long dead. Your face is a picture. (laughs) It's really graphic. I know, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant. I love, a, I love a good gory end. I know, and that's particularly gory. Well, it's not over. The opening made by Satan in his escape was sprinkled thrice with holy water in the form of a cross and ordered by the rector to be filled up with lime and a stone to be set at either end. And thus it remained until 1944, when it was being reopened. It was perfectly obvious from the outside, being framed in stone and so outlined and frequently pointed out to visitors. Archaeologists, however, say it's a hagioscope through which the elevation of the host and chalice might be viewed from the churchyard. So, but the hole being closed, the flint was set in the south wall of the chapel in a large circle of black around which was painted in red letters, Stipendia Peccati Mores, for the wages of sin is death. Another version of the story is that Ronaldus dropped dead and was buried under the stone in the entrance to the north porch. I, I, I like the the black pool better. Yeah, I'm going to go the with black that pool's one. Pool's a much more interesting ending for Ronaldus. I think so too. But there's there's actually a bit more evidence that maybe the black pool was closer to the truth. Oh, because Elsa, in 1944, while edging one of the paths outside the Jesus Chapel, Father Corbin and his youngest son Christopher unearthed a flint in the shape of an ugly, twisted face. E which is believed to be that of the legend of all that remained of Rinaldus. This strange flint was kept in a locked cupboard in the aisle of the church. Later, it was restored to its original place in the wall, but in 1982 was taken out by order of the church council. The oblong, almost coffin-shaped stone, broken in two halves and set as a doorstep of the north porch, is always a cold spot. So that's the stone where Rinaldus was melted. I think, for want of a better word. Did, they, did you say doorstop or doorstep? Were they using his face as a doorstop? <laughs> a doorstep. No, I think the flint was something different. The um, stone where it all, where he... Oh, yeah. That's a good sound. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't have to do the sound effect. I could have just put it in. Cue squelchy sound effect. <laughs> when the rector came to Runwell in 1923, the old generation of the parish would not venture to tread on this tread on the stone but took care to step over it. Father Corbin thought the fact that the stone in later years was trodden on accounts for the ghost of Ronaldus having been seen after a quiet period of about 17, um, 70 years. So it was only when people started stepping on the stone again that the ghost appeared. 
which I thought was quite interesting. Even if it's all stories, it's great stories, aren't they? It's brilliant, yeah. Do you know what it's reminding me of? What? Midnight Mass. I yeah. Definitely. I know, I know it's got every that vibe. episode I bring up a Mike Flanagan uh uh <laughs> <laughs> creation, but yeah, that is very Midnight Mass. It's very Midnight Mass. I like Midnight Mass. I know a lot of people didn't, but I quite liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I rewatched it recently and I thought, yeah, this is I mean I think everybody was still like, oh, we want more ghosts, but he gave us churchy vampires instead gave us churchy vampires and, and I think elliot from et yeah well it. he's in every um, i know yeah <laughs> i like pointing that out it's elliot <laughs> <laughs> and about a hundred years ago actually let's have a look when this book was written because a hundred years ago to them is probably different to us 1987 there you go so 1887 1887 <laughs> Um, it was said to have appeared, but it was not seen again until 1945 when an elderly couple saw him. Since then, at least six different people said that they have seen him, and the appearances generally being between January and April. The apparition is described as that of a tall man in either a black or brown habit, bare feet, with a cowl over his head, unshaven, scarred face, deep set eyes, and a very unpleasant expression. A churchgoer in January 1954 was out with her dog when she noticed a shadow and then felt as if someone unearthly had passed through her body. Her dog was terrified and ran... The dog's all right. Oh, good, yeah. I got that in quick, okay. Her dog was terrified, ran home and whimpered for most of the night. Mr B. L. Lester Crook told me of his experience. It was after Evensong on Sunday, March 1954 at about 8.30 when it was quite dark. As he passed the lighted telephone box by the churchyard, he thought he saw a shadow against the fence. (laughs) The shadow seemed rather odd in appearance, standing out from the fence. He stopped and moved several yards side to side, but the shadow did not move. Mr Crook then felt a chilly tingling sensation in his spine and his stomach turned over. The shadow, then apparently of his own accord, moved off down the fence and vanished by the barn. I know, isn't that? Ripper. <laughs> Although the light from the telephone kiosk does not throw one's shadow eerily against the fence, Mr. Crook distinctly saw a figure which, though which although it resembled a shadow at first sight, was on closer examination a vague form hovering about a foot off the ground. Well, that is disturbing. Yeah, oh, they carry on. Ronaldus was seen in daylight by Mr. H.P. Liberty, Lord of the Manor of Runwell, who was driving his car towards Wickford about 10 o'clock in the morning, when he was amazed to see a clerical figure dressed in a grey overcoat, black Homburg hat, knee breeches and stockings and wearing a dog collar. But following him, a few paces behind, was a broad-shouldered, slouching figure, dressed in a dark brown habit reaching almost to the ground, secured with what appeared to be a broad leather belt and wearing a tight-fitting cap from which emerged somewhat unkempt hair, growing very well described, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> growing down the sides of his face into a thin beard, but extended well across the cheekbones. I immediately stopped the car, jumped out and looked up the road. Having passed them by this time, the road was completely empty, and in the course of a day or so I told Father Corbin, who was interested and confirmed that at noon the same day a clerical friend wearing the clothes described had in fact visited him. But who was the ghostly figure walking behind him, Elsa? I was going to say the guy's name, but in my adult state from being on well, I can't remember. Is it Rinaldus? Rinaldus. 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 Mr. Liberty saw the ghost twice more. 
On the second occasion, he saw Ronaldus in the churchyard quite clearly and from some seconds near the west door. And in 1955, he saw Ronaldus apparently following the rector along the footpath bordering the churchyard, and this at a time when, on inquiry, he found the rector was certainly not there. So this time, the rector actually, there was nobody human actually there, so oh, it's getting even weirder. Mr. Liberty was driving his car in the direction of Wickford as the visions appeared. He drew it quickly and remained stationary until the figures had passed and disappeared. He described the rector as wearing a black cape lined with red silk over his cassock. He noted this particularly as he'd never seen Father Corbing wearing it, although he did oft- although he often did so in cold weather. In 1954, a man from Great Burns had told Father Corbin in the daytime he'd seen a figure in a brown robe with a scar on his face and with terribly piercing eyes walking down the road between the church and Wickford. He was followed a very short way behind by a priest wearing a black silk cassock. It's all very scary, isn't this, it? I'm getting really confused because they keep on going on about, oh, yes, there's this one person and there's another person following them, but both descriptions of the people sound really weird. So is there one or two? I don't know, like, but the, it's just that's just very strange. I mean, Runwell, that's just one weird story of Runwell. Yeah, I heard there's there's the um, the spring at Runwell as well. Has some... There is the spring at Runwell, but let's go back further with the church because the builder of the church is said to have fought three pitched battles with the foul fiend the devil and beat him each time mm. the devil finding he could not vanquish the man living said that he would have him at all events when dead whether buried in the church he was buried out of, or or buried out of it to elude this he ordered himself to be buried half in the church half out of it and there is a tomb in the north wall of the chancel and that is supposed to be where he was buried. So the devil has had quite an interest in Renwell Church for a while. But not particularly good at masonry. Apparently not, no. So if you, I... wanted, if you want to fool the devil, build a wall or yeah. uh, shut a door, it sounds like. Shut a door, yeah. It's <laughs> quite easy. Apparently so. And let's have a look. Where's the rest of my notes? Because there's quite a few on this. There was another part to that story where um, the devil asked the builder, he, the reason that he was in a pitched battle with the builder was he wanted the church built in a particular place. You know, again, getting involved with the building trade. Yeah. And the devil asked by what assistance, because he, he managed a couple of times to defeat the devil. doesn't say how. I don't know if it was thumb war or something, but <laughs> they had a battle or something. And then the first time he said, how did you manage to vanquish me? And he said, through God and through two spade bitches. Wow. I don't know what happened there, but it was on the <laughs> third battle when the devil asked him that he said himself and God. And because he put himself before God, he then not long afterwards died. Yeah, that but, sounds like some twisted uh, medieval logic to me. Of course, yes. So, yeah, he was buried half in, half out, which is why when you said about... um that grave i was like oh, wonder. oh good old maud <laughs> um do you know what that reminds me of i was listening to uh tales of the british isles and ireland tales mm. of britain and ireland he's changed the name um to be more inclusive of ireland now um it, he did a story on the bugain of st trinians oh very similar to that i do like a bugain good name is a good bugain. name <laughs> Uh, just one more little bit about the church. Mm-hmm. I, I think probably most churches of a certain ty- 
a certain age have this. This is circling the church. Oh, yeah, like St. Nicholas is at Canudan. Exactly. So the idea with Runwell, you were supposed to walk three times around and that would raise old Nick again. Um, Which direction, though? Clockwise or anti-clockwise? doesn't say, but however, there is also another um, legend that it says if you circle the church three times on Christmas Eve, um, manifest the sound of a phantom coach that haunts the area and is actually in the area where there's now a pub in Runwell. So Runwell's got loads going on. Yeah, Runwell's deeply entrenched in weird stuff. And I mean, like... I found a really good article. Um, so I'm hogging this section, but I kept finding really interesting mm. things. Um, on JSTOR, I found a really good um, article called Circling as an Entrance to the Other World. And it just listed all these different places across England where circling a, a monument, a church, a standing stone, was like sort of it broke the barrier between worlds. And in the southeast of England, particularly, probably due to the witch trials and making sacred pagan sites about the devil, it was more that it brought the devil forth. Whereas before, it would have probably been something like an entrance to fairyland, would have been yeah. a way to communicate with the spirits. Um, just a couple of examples. Um, Maybe that's our next project, going to these places and walking in circles. Seeing what happens. The eerie Essex gets dizzy. <laughs> Come get dizzy with Erie Essex. I'm up for it. I'm sure we could find some nearby. Um, the Chantonbury Ring Fort in Sussex. Um, that is supposed to be if on a moonless night you walk seven times around the ring without stopping, the devil will come out of the wood and hand you a basin of soup. <laughs> How adorable is that? Comes what's out in, of hell just what's to bring in the you. soup. That's what I want to know. I I'm don't gonna know. Guess, but... I'm going to guess some kind of hallucinogenic mushroom. I assume he'd have had to have had that before the soup arrived, but maybe not. <laughs> Where else? I mean, there was loads here. I was really, I'll send you this article. It's actually called, as I said, Circling as an Entrance to the Other World by Samuel Payette Menefee. And it's Ooh, from yeah. the folk, good name, isn't it? And it's from the Folklore um, Society's book, you know, the one that comes out every now and again, which is always full of amazing things. Yeah, that's such a good source. I was reading, um, for a little bit later, uh, I was reading, um, it was, uh, what was it called? It, I was sending you the images from it, um, mm -hmm. the long pig. Long pig, That's yes. where that long pig was from. <laughs> uh, but it was basically an article about uh, witches and the devil uh, in Britain and America and doing a comparison between the two. And like when I was a, a, a kid, I didn't think thing like history was going to be this fascinating. Sometimes I was obsessed with history, but mm. sometimes you just think, oh, it's another king, it's another, you know. I know. Can you imagine if we looked at stuff like this? Yeah, exactly. Now I've only got I've two little tiny more things, and then I'm done because again, this isn't Essex, but I just think it's interesting how this circling a building and uh, differs from place to place. So, um, in Saint Mark's Eve. This is in, doesn't say where, oh, um, Thorough's Way. Uh, so on St. Mark's Eve, a witch had to go three times around the church. And it says backwards, yeah. question mark. And then look in the keyhole and recite some words that I can't tell you now as I never learned them. And this was to show that they'd sold their souls to the devil. 
And there's a couple of um, ones that involve the keyhole. So um, there's one place um, in Digby where drop a pin in the keyhole of a church door and run around the church seven times without stopping and you'll meet the devil. Um, so we're going to go with which has had some good athletic ability. They must have, because some of them you have to run around a certain amount of times between like at midnight when the bells toll 12 times. Yeah, and they're not... They're not like tiny, these churches. No, they're not. <laughs> so you had to have a certain athletic prowess to raise the devil, apparently. Um, oh, there's Swanton Morley in Norfolk. So, you know, step across the border a bit into weird Norfolk's territory, but yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, he who ran around the church at midnight struck and then whistled through the keyhole and could see the devil. So, yeah, many ways to raise the <laughs> This will crack me up because it seemed to be going to this massive thing and then it really went nowhere. So this was a man in Wales who um, was supposedly very good at raising the devil. And he took a large crowd of people to go and show them how it was done. And so it, it goes thus. He took a frying pan and a key and in the dark dusk of the evening went to a four lane end or crossway. Many people were assembled to set, see him set perform this task. God, to see him perform this feat. The man rattled the frying pan and the keys together and repeated the lines, I raised the devil and the devil raised me. I shall never forget when the devil raised me. All at once, there was a great noise of thunder and in the midst of which the devil came. But nobody saw him except the man who had the frying pan. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I that know, is... I was like, oh, did, he, did, he oh. did he charge these people? For I don't know. They must have been like, oh, uh, oh. I think there was oh, snake it? oil being sold there. I think there was, yeah. But oh, bless him. I, that cracked me up a little bit. And I'm done. <laughs> what I don't get about, I mean, the Romwell story is horrific. You know, the black pool of, uh, I've forgotten his name again. Rinaldus. Rinaldus. I think that's because I had a, uh, Rudolphus or something earlier. I'm you now did. confused. Um, we have spoken about Rudolphus before. Yeah. But, you know, the, a lot of these stories, the devil is like this almost joke character. A trickster like rather than a... Well, no, he's like he's gullible and uh, like unnecessarily angry and stupid. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be really... As well. Yeah, e easy to get one over on him. Um, that's why I said earlier, like, maybe it's wishful thinking. People think that the devil is that easy to, to con. They think that maybe they, you know, it's like a loophole, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Anyway. Mm, your story, your next story. So um, this next story is about a place called The Devil's Steps. Um, and it seems to be a bit of a mystery about who coined this name or when it was first coined. Uh, but reading through the ben, Benfleet history blogs, um, and one of the com commenters beneath thought that it was just a name that their family used uh, for the steps, and it wasn't widely known. But then reading the blog, they obviously realised, oh, no, this was the actual name of the steps, and it was widely and commonly used. Um, and because of things like this, there are many versions of the Devil Steps folklore. One says that if you linger on any spot of sunlight on whilst you're on the devil's steps, the devil will push you down, all the way down the steps, I mean. 
Another says that if you step on the 12th step, you'll be dragged down to hell by the devil. Another one goes on to say that if you're on the top of the steps at midnight on Halloween, the devil will jump out at you and, you know, push you down again or drag you down, whatever. Um, And it goes on and on in a similar vein. Basically, the devil lives under the steps. And if people were trudging on your roof all day and night, you'd probably pop out and have a word too, wouldn't you? The most widely known folklore. Yeah. (laughs) The most widely known folklore though, is that a woman once got to the top of the steps and had a terrible fall all the way down to the bottom, breaking her neck in the process. And now her spirit haunts the steps. And the reason for her fall? Yes, that's right. The devil popped her and scared the bejesus out of the poor old woman. And she died. Um, I did see on one site that there is another story of a very drunk sailor who was making his way back to a boat he'd moored in Benfleet Creek when he saw very demonic creepy looking face peering out of him in the area near the steps and it was replete with horns and glaring eyes but again most people think this is probably a goat from a small hole holding not too far away <laughs> um there are, are of course more mundane reasons that the devil steps got their name for a start they're ridiculously steep and uneven They don't seem so from the bottom of the steps, but the view from the top was enough to make me wince. Um, And there's apparently a bit of an optical illusion that when the sun hits them in a certain way, it can make them look like a sheer vertical surface. Ah, Maybe where that bit about the sunlight came from. Yeah, it could be. Also, this footpath was used by locals to attend church in the early 20th century. So the saying was that those who failed to show up on Sunday was that the devil had got them on the steps. Ah. So that is, it's quite a short one, but that is the devil steps in Benfleet. I do like what, where the name comes from. And like, it's like what came first, the the accidents or the name of the steps or? Well, there's another wonderfully named place. Um, actually, the, the devil steps are within this area, um, but it's called Bread and Cheese Hill. And it has a really nice story about why it's called Bread and Cheese Hill. Go on. So when the very first motor cars were uh, starting to be used on roads, this hill apparently was so steep that the motor cars couldn't make it to the top without, you know, overheating. And then everyone would have to get out and stop for a while and wait for it to cool down. So this is where they'd have their picnics. So it's Bread and Cheese Hill. That's really cute. Yeah, it's sweet, isn't it? I like that. <laughs> oh, would you like would you like my next one? I think we should go on to your next one. Cool. So again, this is from Ghost Hunter's Guide to Essex. So this is the Devil Legend of Tulse Hunt Knights. Did you come across that at all when you were looking at Devil in Essex? Um, I did. I purposely ignored it, but I had actually read most of it before because um, I had the Grim Almanac of Essex. You did, yes. Yeah. And you that do is still, I hope. I do still have that <laughs> one. But yes, I've, I've, I've tried to rid my brain of it so I can see it afresh. <laughs> well, basically, the story goes that a um, story that belongs equally in the two villages is that when in Devil's Wood in Verley, uh, the moat was dug and a house was started to be built. And a man with his, again, three spay bitches was left on guard all night. There's something about, they like their spay a bitch is spayed. Yeah. yeah, apparently. I mean, be responsible and spay your pets, people. But yeah, I don't know why they mention it all the time. 
Well, this isn't that far, I don't think, from my first story. And I think there might be a bit of a crossover. Um, and there's also a place near Runwell called Barn Hall, which is where where we're going now. So see if you recognize this story. So the first night the devil came and said, who is there? And the man answered, God, myself and my three spay bitches. And the devil departed. Second <laughs> night. I know. Again. Why does he have to mention his three spade bitches? I know. Well, the second night he came, the same thing happened. But on the third night, the man forgot himself and answered, myself, my three spade bitches and God, thus putting himself the wrong way around. Well, this time it's a little bit more gory. The devil clawed the heart out of the man. And then he took a beam from the house and said, as he threw it up the hill, where this beam shall fall, there shall ye be build barn hall now i'm a bit confused because he just killed the man i don't know who he was talking to so maybe he like you know he was projecting to the nearby residents well yeah well that's where it <laughs> maybe the devil vowed he would have the man's soul whether he was buried in the church or out of it but he was cheated by burying the man half in and half out the wall of the Tulsa knight's church so it's a very, very similar story. People love doing that. Like, I mean, I, I know half and half. As a Welsh thing, you know, curry, you have rice and chips. But <laughs> half and half in a church is a new one on me. <laughs> Some say the devil came by night and destroyed the work of the day. And so a knight attended by two dogs to keep watch. When the devil appeared, a tussle ensued. I hope so. <laughs> when the devil appeared, a tussle ensued and the devil hurled the beam. There's a lot of tantrums going on here with this building what a beam hurling i know well there's another version is that barn hall was to be built in the wood but every morning the lord of the manor found the previous work day's work undone isn't this similar to your cryptid um with the the thing in the beams do you know what the the it was called the devil's house on wallacey island that's what i'm thinking of yeah. there was something there with the bit the, the devil like no no don't build it here build it over there yeah, that was, um, I think the origin story of the house was that the devil tossed a beam in the air. Um, maybe the devil's Scottish and he just likes tossing the caber. Well, this is it, you know, there's, there's, there could be all sorts. And at mid- so at midnight, the evil one appeared accompanied by two dogs. So he bought his dogs this time. So, you know, we're, space this, is, bitches. this is getting serious. And inquired what he did there. And when he uh, when he told he watched to see who destroyed the building, the devil took up a beam and threw it at the top of the hill a mile away where Barn Hall now stands. So I, I assume they went, oh, all right, we'll build it there. Has he just been like throwing these timbers like like a little bit further away every time yeah. they start building? Yeah, I think so. It's just, um, <laughs> it's just unusual and cruel. Well, again, this is chicken and the egg. When Barn Hall was reconstructed in 1800, they discovered the devil's beam, which is one of the main beams that had marks of Satan's claws on it. But there were really mortise peg holes. But maybe those marks were seen and then a story ensued from there. Maybe they had some difficulty building the barn hall where they wanted because, as it, as I found out, it's on marshland. So maybe that's why the house kept um, you know, falling down. Maybe that was just the, the contractor's excuse for... Um, oh yeah, the devil keeps coming at night. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's not our fault for uh, building on unsteady land. <laughs> unsteady land, it's the devil. So yeah, possibly. <laughs> but in 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 the church, um, there is actually a tomb half in and half out the wall, and that is said to be the knight who guarded 
barn. So, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And as I was looking, Elsa, (laughs) uh, through the British newspaper archive, which I quite like, I came across something and my, my, my eyes darted across it really quickly. And I went, I didn't just read that right. I did. Apparently, in um, the newspaper, The Graphic, in the, on the 23rd of February, 1907, a story was relayed. It goes something like this. Everyone knows of the historic defeat at Barn Hall. And here I have a tale of a bad bargain at... Prepare yourself. Cock a Beavers Hill. <laughs> oh God, that's a good one. That gets me some points. Yeah, that does. Um, did I ever tell you when I got really lost coming home from work because they'd shut all the main roads once, and um, I found myself on a place, and I had to look this up later because I had no idea where I was, and I realised I'd been driving up and down Burnt Dick Hill. Burnt Dick Hill. I do like Burnt Dick Hill. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think there was a um in one of our like threads on Twitter there was a a rude name off. I can't remember who it was between. So we had a a, a wet stone off with uh, lawmen. <laughs> yeah, a damp a damp energetic stone off. Apparently there's a lot of them. <laughs> it got very silly, but you, you got to get a bit silly with these. And you know what? I can't tell you the story because it's written in such a gobbledygook way. I'm gonna have what I'll do is. I'll um, condense it down this story and put it up on um, our Twitter feed as a nice little featurette that you can read through because it's there's a lot of abominations and children and apples and horn demons and lots and lots of weird Sounds like things. an episode of The Chilling Ventures of Sabrina. It does, doesn't it? It does yeah. read a little bit like that. And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> And on, and on, I'm just scrolling through it now, and it's just like I don't even. There's the devil. You finally come into it, and we're like page five of eight. So yeah, Bloody I'll condense hell. it down into a smaller thing. <laughs> but I just I had to get that in because of Cockabeavers Hill. It's a brilliant name. It's great, isn't it? Oh, Essex, <laughs> I do love you. But yeah, sorry. Um, on to you. Well, uh, this last one, it was almost as indecipherable as the story you just described because <laughs> I had to try and translate it from Latin. Oh, bless you. Okay, you, you win there. <laughs> well, do you know what? I could have taken it off a whole bunch of different other places, um, but I wanted to read the original to get the proper context. So I found Thomas Walshing's, Walshingham's Quondam Monnaci S. Albania Historia Ang. Anglicana, which nice is one. again, you've not been kind to yourself. I know I'm terrible. I'm terrible to myself. Um, yes. So I wanted to read it in the original Latin because I need some context to this story because it was just a very brief one. Um, and the context I found was brilliant. So this, that's why I messaged you last, last night going, I'm a research genius. You're going to love this. Uh, yes, go, go for it. <laughs> I thought you'd frozen again for a second. Um, no, I thought I thought I, I thought we had something on the Erie Essex thing, and I was going to say, "Oh, we just had a message, but it's gone, and I, I can't find it now." Um, so I had Sorry. to I had to infer some of this in, in con, from context because Google translating a page in Latin uh, on an app is not an exact science. Uh, so here we go. 
A diabolical apparition appeared in East Sex, which is apparently what they were calling Essex, in Danbury on the feast of Corpus Christi at the hour of Vespers, which when I translated that sometimes, I think that just means the evening. Yeah. And it was in the likeness of a friar. The friar was behaving most insolently in a debauched manner, striking Mm -hmm. parishioners with terror. At the same time, a tempest struck the church with an enormous crash of lightning, destroying the top of the church, and the chancel was all shaken and rent and torn to pieces. And when he was finished raising, he left the broken church. But local tradition says that he later came back to steal one of the church's six bells. Of course he did. Yeah, because the the devil loves a good bell, or he hates a good bell. (laughs) The congregation chased him, forcing him to drop the bell at the spot, which is now named after the event Bell Hill, uh, which is a little to the north of the church. The impact of the bell falling is said to have created a pond, which some people sometimes visit in hope, maybe, of actually seeing the devil. A rather more modern version says that the devil took the bell and walked away down the hill on which the church stands, uh, but it became too heavy for him, so he dropped it, and that's where they built pub. Because of course, yeah, is it called the Bell Inn? It is called the Bell Inn. Hey, um, and this is supposed to explain how the pub got its name, of course, and why the church now only has five bells instead of six. There was a church that actually ended up putting its bell in a cage because yes. yeah, the devil kept that. nicking it. <laughs> Again, the devil is foiled by uh, architecture. architecture. <laughs> or sometimes loves building things for no good reason. Maybe he just likes a bell. Maybe, I don't know. We're getting them all wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's also witches steal bells a lot, as yes, we found yes, out from Canudan um, and Denby. Denby, that was it. The Denby witch tried to steal a bell for the Canudan witches, apparently. I wonder what it is about church bells. Just very annoying. Like that's a hell really, of a wait and a hell really of a- loud every Sunday. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, interestingly, I was reading around Walshingham's book around that account, and it seems to have been uh, there seems to have been several incidents at the same time, which kind of link into this. So there was a plot around this time involving a group of uh, Franciscan friars against the king. And at least eight or maybe nine of them were executed. Um, this was Henry the Fourth, by the way. So Henry the Fourth, at this point, was battling a rebellion in Wales against Owen Glyndor. Hey. Why can I say that much easier than I can say most of the English names? I don't know. Because um, it's got a good Owen Glyndor. Owen Glyndor. Um, and this is where Google Translate ugh, failed me a little bit, and I had to do a little bit of context. Uh, sort of putting together. Um, but it seems that at that time, lots of storms were hitting the army. Um, and the the church at Danbury had been struck by lightning and exploded in a massive storm um, whilst the devil was apparently sort of ranging up down the, the, the halls of it. Um, Very similar to the Black Shuck at Blytheborough with the those lightning and it destroyed the what, steeple. I wonder what what um year that took place in because it seems like these storms were uh prevalent at that time mm. um so one of these storms actually almost killed the king Bloody hell. um and he was only saved apparently by wearing his armor 
But the story goes is that Owain was the source of these storms and that he had been able to conjure them uh, with some sort of demonic magical power. He's so cool. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Owain. Good old Owain. So this gives some context to the Danbury story. We have these violent storms hitting the country, uh, supposedly conjured by demonic forces, and again against the king whilst these friars are being executed for treason. So you've got all these kind of stories almost mixing into one in Danbury. Hmm. Danbury seems to be an interesting place to live at this time. <laughs> or not. <laughs> so that is, that's, yeah, my whole Danbury story. I just found it really fascinating that on a more national scale these things were happening and it kind of coalesced into this one little story in Danbury I like it and also I had to translate Latin for this yeah I think (laughs) definitely well done for that one you've gone above and beyond there gave me such a headache would you like a little treat now yes please because I have found in my meanderings on the internet a lovely TV series. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. Lovely TV series from the 90s. Do you remember The Y Files? No, I don't know that I saw that one. No, it rings a bell, I think, when you see it. I mean, not only is this a story about the devil's field in Solcott, Essex, but one of the people interviewed is one of our favourite people. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you. I want to see your face. When you is when it, you see is the it, name. Is it is it Coggershall? Is it Ralph Coggershall? No. Ah. Oh. But just you wait. Okay. okay. So listeners, I'm gonna put the link to this YouTube video in the show notes and the description underneath this episode. So pause us and click on the link, have a watch of it, and then come and join us again. So Elsa, I'm gonna press pause. So me and you are gonna watch it now, okay? Okie doke. So what do you think of that? I think that the 80s were a terrible time for interior decoration and fashion. That was 1999. Was it 1999? Oh, God. It's even worse. Yeah. But we got to see and hear our hero, Wesley Wesley Downs. Downs. Yeah, lovely little Wesley Downs. Oh, I'd love to have met him. What a lovely... Doesn't he just strike you as such a lovely man? Yeah. I, he struck me as very nervous at being interviewed, actually, which I was found surprising, seeing as he gets up to all kinds of things in his books, like being questioned by the police over a, a severed arm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are the stories I wish I could have chatted to about. But no. once again, Wesley's son, if you're out there listening to this, please get in touch. One, he might hear it. I just can't get over that that sofa and that wallpaper. Oh. I know. Mind you, I have got wall, I've got a carpet. Oh I? yeah. I've got a couple that of carpets like that. <laughs> a, a, a dangerous carpet. Mm-hmm. You lose all sorts in that. It's like a portal to hell. <laughs> um what was I going to say? You thought the grey figures in front of the tractor. Yes. Um, I kept, they were talking about the grey, these little little grey figures popping up. I was like, that's definitely rabbits or just very big, maybe hares. Um, Well, I did think hares. But then I thought, 
as a farmer, surely you'd see that all the time and you wouldn't. Did he say it was foggy? I can't remember. I can't remember now. My dad told me this horrific story. In fact, he said it happened several times when we lived in Scotland. Um, He'd be driving through like really dense fog at night because he had to travel quite a lot back and forth out of Scotland, back to England. And, um, he said he'd be driving through this fog in like the Scottish Highlands. And then he just, I'm really sorry to people listening, plow through a hot, like hundreds of like rabbits just sitting oh, in the road. God. Said it was a bloodbath. And he said he, it once happened to a group of seagulls as well. Which, oh God, unimaginable. Um, he did purposely say to me, don't retell this story, especially to uh, your brother and sister-in-law who have rabbits. So I'm so sorry, Dad and Sean and Kirsty. <laughs> shared it with everyone. <laughs> just shared it with everyone. But that's what it made me think of when he was talking about these grey little figures popping up. I thought, oof, well, funny uh, massacre. Well, my if thinking supernatural, my mind didn't go to anything devilish. I thought, you know, this sounds like perhaps like a fae encounter, if Maybe. anything. Um, like just these little figures. If they weren't rabbits or hares, then something perhaps that nature. But yeah, when he was saying that the the cab was starting to get a bit rocky because of the sort of thumping on the sides, I was like, that's just all bunny bodies being thrown all over the place. <laughs> but I mean, one of the things I saw there's a couple of different articles, like uh, more general articles about like the devil appearing. It seems that a lot of the stories were originally about fey encounters, but the church didn't like that, so they changed a lot of the stories to, to the devil, devil encounters. Mm-hmm. But if you if you look at them and read them and keep in mind that they would have once been of a more pagan origin. Yeah. Then it it it, it sort of makes sense. Well it's a little the, like the um the Sutton Who I was telling you about last time where they it had been very sacred um, pagan site, and then uh, only a few hundred years later, the Christians were using it as uh, a place to put their executed uh, dead um, yep. because it was the closest portal to hell they could find. Nice. Yeah. So I was cracking my joint. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's, that's me, devil stories. Um, I was going to talk quickly about what the witches were getting up to with the devil. Oh, yes. Is it something naughty? Oh, it's very naughty. I mean, you do have to take this with a pinch of salt because these were confessions got through what is basically torture. I mean, there was a law against torture, I think, at the time. So they couldn't do outright torture. So Mm. they would keep people awake for days on end, keep them standing up or walking. Um, There was all kinds of things they did to get these these poor people to confess. and confess they did, and they confessed to some very weird things. And because witches were apparently gaining their power from the devil, uh, the devil does appear in many of these stories. So uh, the first one I looked at was Rebecca West. Um, so this is some of her confession, um, or I think the confession as related by either Hopkins or Stern. So basically, uh, Rebecca is um, at a meeting of the coven and uh, she says that they're talking about uh, sending spirits to kill a man's horse and some cows and their children. 
And uh, then Mother Benfield, Benefield uh, asked Rebecca's mother whether her daughter could keep these secrets. Um, and she answered that Rebecca had promised that she had. Uh, and it basically ends up with her having to take um, the oath of, of the, the covenant of the coven. And then they taught her what to say. Uh, the sum thereof was to deny God and her saviour, Jesus Christ, and to renounce all promises of his blessings and merits of his bitter death and passion, and to believe as they did, and to serve and obey as they did. And they said Rebecca confessed that so soon that she had done this, that the devil in the shape of a little black dog leapt into her lap and kissed her three times. And then she felt very cold. Shortly thereafter, uh, when she was going to bed, the devil appeared again um, in the shape of a handsome young man saying that he came to marry her. Um, and this is what she, this is what he did apparently to marry her. He took her by the hand, leading her about the room and said, I take thee, Rebecca, to be my wife, and I do promise to be thy loving husband till death, defending thee from all harms. And then he told her what she must say, uh, whereupon she took him by the hand and said, I, Rebecca, take thee to be my husband, and I do promise to be an obedient wife till death, faithfully to perform and serve all thy commands. The first row was that she should deny and renounce, as before said, God and Jesus, and being asked by the judge whether she had ever been carnal and copulated with the devil, she confessed that she had. And uh, being asked questions by a gentleman that did, hang on, sorry, this gets confusing. They use words like divers a lot. I never quite get what the divers reference means. Is it diverse? No, it's being, yeah, it could be. Um, so they questioned her some more. Uh, and it's something about giving her godly and comfortable instructions, which doesn't sound right. So she basically confessed on behalf of all the witches in the coven and her mother um, oh. and confessed to copulating with the devil, which is, to be honest, not the most graphic um, one I read. There was another one. <laughs> um, let me see. This one, Elizabeth Clark. Um, she confessed to John Stern that um, she had carnal copulation with the devil for six or seven years and that he would appear to her three or four times a week at her bedside and go to bed with her and lie with her half the night together in the shape of a proper gentleman with lace band having whole the whole proportion of a man and would say, Bess, I must lie with you. And she did never deny him. And with a quarter of an hour after there appeared imps like to a dog, which was white, and some sand, she's basically describing the imps here, um, which they look like dogs. Uh, they have some sandy spots and they're plump and uh, very fat and very short legs. Um, and then they would vanish. Uh, but well, they'd appear to watch and then go. I think they, they were like the consequence of the copulation. They were like her children. Oh. oh. So she was uh, lying with the devil, making these imps, apparently. Um, and then uh, there was a point where 
Stern says, aren't you afraid of these imps? And she said, why would I be afraid of my own children? So, yes, this is what apparently the devil got up to with some of these witches. He's a bit, I mean, in between stealing bells and throwing beams and... It's all very, like, he's very malleable in what he actually... Uh, does when he's appearing to these people, isn't he? Like sometimes he's just this absolute goof who yeah. doesn't seem to be able to to do anything correctly. And sometimes he's the you know this nice gentleman who's a fantastic lover. Yeah. What was it? Three or four times a week for half the night. God, she must have been tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to bed now, but it's seven o'clock. I know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, these confessions again yeah. through torture. Um, they were probably written by Hopkins and Stern, um, yeah. which does make me think that maybe they just had a little bit of a fetish going on there. Maybe um, a bit of a, a Lilith obsession. Yeah, possibly, or just you know, I don't know, just some fan fiction about the devil. <laughs> it is, it is fan, the devil fan fiction, but with very dire consequences. That is the devil in Essex. <laughs> that is the devil in Essex. I'm sure we'll visit it again because he seems I can't, to pop up I, all over the place. He did get all over the place. I might find there's more bells and there's more pits and there's bottomless lakes. They get everywhere. <laughs> um, and I hope the six point six six is the only thing weird to come out of this thing because. And we didn't get any synchronicities for the Buried Treasure episode, which is the one we wanted them on. I know. Oh, I think I won two pound on a lot on a scratch card, but that was it. (laughs) Yeah, I was expecting a little bit more than that, but you know. Hey up! Oh, that button that um, I spoke about in that one that my mother-in-law found. Ben said it it does look interesting, so I'm going to try to get contact with the finest liaison people, and I'll show it to them. Cool. Um, and I hope everyone enjoyed uh, the little travel blog I did when I was in Venice. Um, hopefully, I mean, when I'm probably not going anywhere like that again anytime soon. That was basically all my savings and more. Um, so uh, whenever I go away again, I'll try and do some more on the spot research. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed that. There I missed some... you, though. Ah, <laughs> missed you too. There were some great stories that I was looking up, but then I couldn't actually get to those places. So, and I was only sh- showing stories of places I was actually trying, actually able to get anywhere near. There was a vampire on the plague island, um, very much like the vampire that you uh, um, were talking about recently uh, with the brick in the mouth. Oh, um, there's a brick in the mouth, or the scythe around the neck. Um, I think this one had a brick in her mouth. The one on in in Venice, yeah, um, and this was on on the plague island in Venice, which is where they they apparently had two plague islands: one for quarantine and one for burying. There's one for leprosy, wasn't there as well? Uh, there's probably probably the same island, considering how many. Yeah, but there was there was another great one I wanted another great island I wanted to go to was San Severo, which was the island for the asylum. Which apparently has some oh yeah I can imagine stories that. on it, but we didn't get a chance to go. Hmm. But maybe in another four years, next time, <laughs> maybe me and you can go. We'll go on a 
Lovely little holiday. Yay. We can go put somewhere in Britain. Yes. We'll, we'll just get out fact, of Essex for a going, while. I was going to say, in fact, we need to start our tour soon. Yes, we are. And we've actually, well, I suppose the first date coming up very soon on the 15th of October. You can find us at Colchester Castle, which is an amazing museum to go to anyway, because they have got an amazing and also macabre, but, you know, it's history that needs to be seen, um, exhibition on the witch trials, but focusing on the women's stories rather than he who shall not be named. And who I have named several times already just before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I I don't want to edit out the swearing again. It takes a while. But yeah, we'll be there. Um, and we really want to hear your stories. Anything you've heard growing up, any spooky stories, um, any folklore or anything that's happened to you, if you've witnessed anything, come and tell us. Traditions as well. Anything that you've kind of learned from your parents or grandparents about that would be traditional to Essex. It's Any daft things you heard in the playground. Yeah, down the pub. Yeah, anything. And we understand that not we're, we're trying to get to as many places as we can. We As we um, lock in more dates and uh, venues, we'll let you know. But you can always reach us as well. We, we have actually got a couple of people we need to catch up with um, to record their stories. But now that school holidays are over, we can start in earnest. Please let us know if you'd like to tell us a story and we can arrange a Zoom call. And if you give us a, your permission, we can add it to our new website with its archive. And if you don't really feel like talking to us in person, you can always write your story down and email it to us and we will read it out. Or we don't even have to read it out. We just like to know about it. Um, if you don't really want it broadcast on on the podcast and we'll keep names anonymous wherever you'd like them to be kept anonymous. Yeah, we're just concerned these stories aren't lost, really. Because they're so easily lost. And it's so so nice to hear them from the people rather than find them, you know, years later. It's, especially if we've got questions as well. That's what's exactly. so nice about it. Um, shout outs to other podcasts. Um, well, I know that I've already mentioned Peter before, but he has got another podcast out called Our Curious Past. So this is Reverend Peter Laws. Um, I suppose it does what it says on the tin. Our Curious Past. Good, weird, macabre. I use that word a lot tonight. Macabre. Um, Gory stories with interesting twists and turns. So that is a good one. Uh, Should we mention that we've been interviewed and the episode will be out soon? Or is that too early to mention? No, Um, it's it's, it's all good. (laughs) So we were interviewed recently on, uh, is it Some Other Sphere? Some Other Sphere. Yeah, on the Some Other Sphere podcast. And we will be you'll be able to listen to that episode really really soon hopefully i think it's the 5th of october isn't it yes <laughs> something like that we're coming soon you'll see it on our feeds it'll be on um facebook twitter instagram and um yeah and me and elsa are actually going this saturday to the red line hotel yes we've, we are we're very excited that we have been invited to the book launch of karen hamilton vial I hope I said that right, Karen. But um, her new book, which is The Curious Life of Ada Baker. And as well as it, uh, as well as well as uh, a book launch, there is an investigation going on. So me and Elsa are going to go along to interview the author and see our ho- one of our first stories 
the Red Lion Hotel. Yeah. Maybe we'll see a ghost. Oh, I'm going to take our night vision camera that was given to us (laughs) by Out There Paranormal. Another podcast. There you go. Nigel Higgins and Jules. We love them. Lovely people. I should mention, because I mentioned him earlier in the podcast, but uh, Tales of Britain and Ireland uh, is a fantastic podcast for folklore and fairy stories and just a really nice time to listen to. Really funny as well. And also another podcast who have been so lovely and so supportive of us, Beyond the Breakers, uh, which is a podcast that looks at maritime disasters, shipwrecks. It's oh, they're so lovely. They retweet everything. We've been mentioned a couple of times in the podcast, and we just think they're awesome. Oh, so and it's nice. and it's a it's, it's a fascinating podcast as well. It's yeah. maritime disasters, just like even without the folklore around them, are just fascinating anyway brutal in some cases but fascinating so check them out have we mentioned already spectre of the sea in a previous episode i don't know (laughs) have we (laughs) yes (laughs) bethan's uh started another podcast because she isn't busy enough already (laughs) it was meant i don't know how you do anything (laughs) i don't well it started off as a should we do a one-off and then it turned into a because i i i I did a lot of research outside of Essex in spare time. I do a lot of research into Welsh folklore because I particularly like death omens. And I got talking to Owen Statham, who does Time Between Times, who is a legend. We love Owen. He's actually, I don't know what I'm going to say. He's on in five minutes, but you're not going to listen to this yet. So. <laughs> um, if you if you follow Owen Staten on Twitter, then he does live storytelling of folklore. And we've started our own little podcast called Spectre of the Sea, which is part storytelling of folk tales, and we act in between. Owen's a much better actor than I am, and got a better voice. Think <laughs> Richard Burton. Oh, do you know that was on the tip of my tongue? And I, I wanted to say Richard Curtis, but it's, not, <laughs> it's Richard Burton. Yeah, Owen's got an amazing voice, and I feel very inferior next to him, but we're having fun, and. We've got a special guest in the next one. My dad. Ah, Peter Jones will be making his first. Lovely Peter Jones. Lovely Peter Jones. He will be um, playing a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> and another one-off coming up soon, but I'll tell you more about that. Oh, it'll be out by then. Um, I went to a conference recently, which Elsa's coming to next year. I'm dragging her there. I really want to go. I just couldn't get the time off this year. <laughs> I know, hun. It was the ASAP conference where we met the lovely Deborah, lovely Deborah Howard. You looked like you had so much fun and I was very jealous. <laughs> I can't deny I did. <laughs> and what was so nice, I've said this to everyone, but I thought we'd get there and it would just be me and Dave and Dave from the Uncanny community. And we'd sort of like just have to hang out together and, and Karen and we wouldn't get to meet any of the paranormal royalty we just sort of like like just have a quick wave but then they'll be off doing their i don't know famousy bits it wasn't like that at all we arrived and i heard i heard this luggage being dropped and then we were swept up in the arms of peter laws which was lovely and i was gonna say that's probably made probably made your week it has <laughs> and he signed all my books and all my possessions <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we ended. It was it was me, Peter Laws, Christian Lander, Alan Murdy, who's the, like the head of the Ghost Club, 
Um, I can't remember who else was there. We were drinking whiskey at 3 a.m. watching The Exorcist. I, the guy who wrote um, Ghost Watch was there. Stephen well. Volk was there. Yeah. And he was lovely. I was so jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, he Love was Ghost really, Watch. really nice. And of course, Deborah had the skeptic on Uncanny. She was lovely. Danny Robbins. I bought him a pint and I was really excited to buy him a pint. And I said, Danny, can I buy you a pint? He said, I'll just have a water. And I was really... Buy him a pint of water. And it was free. So I didn't even buy it for him. <laughs> I, I brought him some water and it didn't have the same thing, but he was lovely. He's a, he is so nice. I mean, you've met him. He is. Oh yeah. He's such a sweet guy. <laughs> and he really was. He, he arrived at the pub on his scooter and I was like, it's Danny. I got a scooter. Was it like a razor scooter or like a proper like scooter scooter? Oh, it was like, you know, like a, a, a push scooter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he looks so cool in his double denim rocking up at the pub on his scooter. <laughs> but yeah, and um, so where was I going with this? I don't know. We're both, we're both incredibly ill at this point. <laughs> we are. And I think I went, I, I had an, ex- they put me in a psychomantium. Yeah. At 2 a.m. I really want to and do that's that. And that. that's the picture you saw where Peter Laws is wearing our rather fabulous new Essex, Erie Essex t-shirts, which we're going to look at putting out as merch at some point because they are rather nice. This has been washed twice, Elsa. Oh, it's looking look- really good. I haven't had mine yet because I, I got them delivered to Bethan and we haven't been able to meet up for a while. I've got a lot to hand over to you, yes. <laughs> All my books as well. <laughs> Indeed. So we'll sort that out. But yes, that's why I was telling you about the conference. Um, me, Christian and Deborah and Peter Laws are going to do a listen-along on a horror film we're still arguing about what horror film i don't know what it is yet but we're recording it soon and we did a test run with um the new winnie the pooh trailer the horror one blood and honey dear that was i saw the trailer for that so awful (laughs) well at the same moment me and deborah went oh i like their house (laughs) it's like i oh in any horror film i inevitably think i like their house i wouldn't do the wallpaper like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Jack's like, we're watching a film. So like, I know, but look at that greenhouse. <laughs> That's the kind of, I mean, I watched that video earlier and I thought, Jesus Christ, the uh, interior decorating in apparently the 1990s, the late 1990s was dire. Oh, it's I like, know. these are the thoughts you have. Yeah. I immediately go to what are they wearing? What's the house? Who's that? Anyway, <laughs> we're going off on a tangent now, but um, we'll see you all very soon, perhaps in person. It's goodbye from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. Bye. If you'd like to get in contact with us with a story of your own or any more information about what we've discussed in this episode, you can reach us at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to contact us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram under the handle eerieessex. On Twitter, we are under eerie underscore essex. You can also find us on Patreon and Coffee if you'd like to support the podcast.